The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, filling in for Beth Heaton this week. We've got a great show planned for you today with the return of some of our favorite guests. Kathy Ruby will be along in our third segment to talk about balancing financial aid offers and your final decision. You parents of seniors who are weighing financial aid packages as we speak won't want to miss it. In our second segment, we've got something for the juniors as Tova Tolman and I dive into research resources. But before we get to all of that, let's talk sports. Uh, We're recording this show on Wednesday, March 29th, which means we don't yet know the winner of this weekend's Final Four in my hometown (laughs) of Phoenix, Arizona. There's still hope on this side of the timeline that the Fighting Ducks of Oregon will be crowned national champions. Of course, you're listening to this on Thursday, April 6th, which means you already know the champion. So whoever it is, please, no spoilers from the future. Um, Though I'll go out on a limb and say that UConn will probably be the women's hoop champ by this time next week. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Why are we all over sports today? Well, we thought that the tournament makes this a great time to talk about sports and how that fits into your college selection. If you're considering a big-time basketball or football school, that's going to change a lot of what your college experience will be. Joining me to talk about life on a campus with strong school spirit is my colleague and former student-athlete Amy Alexander. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks, Dan. I'm glad to be here. Of course. So we often talk about schools with big-time sports programs. We call them rah-rah schools um, (laughs) because of the energy of the students who attend and the the connection that it has with with athletics. Um, I didn't go to a rah-rah school. I went to Reed College, which has no varsity sports. Um, I think we're number three on the list, Princeton Review, for dodgeball targets. Um, so I, I don't know a whole lot. I don't know a whole lot about how sports sort of fits into this process. Can you talk a little bit about the atmosphere around sports at these so-called rah-rah schools? Yeah, absolutely. And I myself, just so you listeners know, I didn't really go to a rah-rah school either. I went to Yale University. I was a swimmer. I was, a, you know, a, a pretty big swimmer. And I do have to say that swimming was, um, historically, it's been a huge sport at Yale. I mean, back in the 60s, we had a lot of Olympians. Um, it is a Division One sport, though it is in the Ivy League, which is much smaller than a lot of the big rah-rah Division One. Schools, uh, but we did bring out a lot of people, and there were a lot of supporters, which was really quite nice. But for me, um, having children, I have uh, grown children, and my daughter is a junior at University of Miami in Miami, Florida. 
huge rah-rah school, part of the reason she chose it. And my son, who's a senior in high school, was just accepted and will be attending Northwestern University, which, yes, it just made the NC2A tournament. Now, granted, it didn't make it past, you know, the first round, but that's huge because it hadn't done that in, what, 40 years or something. So I have to say that two of my children chose schools for that reason. So for me, I have attended kind of schools, um, you know, now that I'm an adult, would that have that, that environment? So I asked my son and I asked one of his friends who was over recently who was choosing between University of Oregon, University of Washington, and University of Virginia, three schools he was mm. accepted to. Now, if Oregon wins, I don't know, that might actually make his choice. <laughs> Tip you know? the balance and a little, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, what's interesting is um, in preparing for today, I was just looking and doing a little research, and, you know, I found an old New York Times article from four years ago from about 2012. Well, five years ago, from 2012, and it was a young man who went to an Illinois-Ohio State game with his brother. Just for fun, he's from Illinois, and he went to this game, and he looked at his brother, and he said, I'm going to Ohio State. I'm, I'm going here. Now, Illinois did beat Ohio State in that game, but he just like looked at the fans, looked at the colors, and he chose mm-hmm. the school, seeing the ambiance, seeing the atmosphere. And that's a big reason I think where both of my kids chose their schools. They wanted big D1 sports schools. They wanted to be part of a community with that strong school spirit. But getting back to Gabe, my son's friend, I I just think this is beautiful. I want to share this. And I said, Gabe, why are you choosing these schools? Very bright, all AP classes, really could go to a top, highly selective school, more of a liberal arts school. Maybe he thought of going to Yale. He really liked the campus, but chose not to apply to schools like that. And he said... And I quote, he said, people, Amy, dismiss sports for the wrong reasons. They put athletics Mm. versus intellectual. They say that, you know, oh, Yale versus University of Oregon or University of Washington. He said, I don't look at it that way. He said, you don't have to be smart or stupid or whatever to go to any one of these schools. You choose a school where it's, you know, for him, it's going to be a great equalizer. Anyone can support and be into sports. It builds a bridge Mm -hmm. across the lines of economics, intellectual intelligence levels, outside interests. Um, Everyone can go to a game and feel that pride and rally around their school. You can join together. It creates a community, a reason to come back. The alums coming back, wearing the colors, supporting their team providing that community and that school spirit. It gives people who are disadvantaged a place to share and be part of, feel good about, get excited. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, he said this, and I was like, whoa, you know, and it, it, he's a bright kid. He'll do well wherever he goes, but he wants that kind of experience. And a lot of people think of, especially parents nowadays, right? You and, Ian, you and I know this. Parents think right. of, of ROI, return on investment, right? What are you going to do for my kid? What kind of job are you going to get? Where? What kind of money you're going to make? But you and I both know that choosing a school where you're going to grow, both intellectually, socially, or inter- interpersonally, is really important. That lifelong learning, that experiential learning, being part of a culture, socialization, helps you in the work world, helps you later on. So that's why I'm, I think a lot of these kids are choosing those kinds of schools. Yeah, I think that there's really something to be said for the the informal network that comes out of that kind of school spirit where we all have a shared goal. Um, mm-hmm. And because of that shared goal and our passion for our institution, there's a little bit more, I think, of a connection after you graduate with others across generations who had that same yeah. experience, right? So it's like, 
if you're a duck fan and you're graduating, you know, this, this year, um, you can talk to ducks fans from 15, 20 years ago when they were, you know, in the Rose bowl, um, and sort of talk about what life was like then. And there's sort of a, a connection across those generations, um, that I think makes for common language and opens the door for some really interesting professional opportunities as well. Um, I do, I am yeah. curious, your, your, your son's friend, Gabe, um, is he a really big sports fan just in general? So, you know, what's interesting, he is, um, he's on the tennis team with my son. My son has always been varsity. My son has been captain the last two years, quite a good tennis player, could have gone and played D2 or D3, chose not to, chose Northwestern uh, for mm-hmm. that big D1 sports at- atmosphere, wanting to be a sports analyst or a sports journalist someday. Gabe, on mm-hmm. the other hand, has always been on JV. He's a good player, but a very average player. But he, just like my son, he comes over and they talk sports. They know every statistic. They know coaches' strategies. He loves sports. And he's a really, really bright kid. But for him, part of his happiness, part of his being, is being able to go to hockey, baseball, soccer, football, basketball, and I'm talking girls and boys sports, like, you know, across the board. That will be part of his experience. And without it, he would not have that same college experience or life. I imagine in life, like, they all go to games together. They go to Madison Square Garden. They go down to the Proust Center. I live in New Jersey. You know, my son went down to Miami for a tennis tournament. And so, you know, they go to sports. They seek them out. That's part of their social world. That's part of their, like you said, that will be continuing to be part of their network, probably in terms of jobs and later in terms right. of their future. So, right. And um, I think that makes are. sense. And, and that tends to be, I think, a lot of students who I knew in high school that chose big-time sports schools, that was a connection that, that they had an interest in sports, and that was a reason for them to follow up with that particular interest. Um, I want to turn to the other side of the coin for students mm-hmm. who maybe are not big sports fans. Um, the degree to which being at one of these rah-rah schools makes an impact. Um, is it a positive one? Is it a negative one? Uh, is it neutral? Um, how can students who are maybe not quite so you know, uh, intense about athletics still get something out of that kind of a culture? So that's a perfect question for me as well, because my daughter, who's at University of Miami, chose it partly for that reason, but partly not for that reason. Um, mm. She's a warm weather girl. She wanted a school with warmth, so we really only looked at warm states. Um, ended up choosing Miami. She's going to be a special needs teacher. She takes uh, classes in the education department. She goes to lots of the sports with her friends, but she doesn't go to all of them. She's not like her brother. She's not like her brother's friend, Gabe. She likes them, but it's not her life. She enjoys on occasion to go and plan a dinner or, you know, go to the tailgate and then go to the game for a few hours, but then she wants sometimes where she doesn't go at all. She was yeah. curious as to whether that would be a problem. And at University of Miami, it hasn't been for her. Um, she cannot go. She can kind of, you know, stay in the library and do her thing. She will hear about it. It is a huge part of a campus like that. So it is infiltrated through life. You will hear about it. People come into the library later or, you know, they're in the cafe and they will talk about it. It is a big part of it, which she doesn't mind. But she's a little more... Um, you know, academically focused, and she likes her field work, which, so she can't do all of the sports. I do think for some students, they have to think seriously about that. You know, some of these big, big, big sports culture schools, they have te- 
televised games, which are often yeah. causes classes to be canceled to accommodate the broadcast schedules. You know, new research is suggesting fandom can affect academic performance. You know, you have to line up and camp out. Duke, I know, you know, when I was growing up, my friends would camp out. It was like a 24-hour adventure, you know, and then right. afterwards, the high of it. So that can impact, you know, academics. Um, so I think that's really important. The other thing is, a lot are complaining about the big culture of big money in college sports causing problems. You know, some blame it for Penn State's officials' failure to report the suspected child abuse to law, local law enforcement. You know, Penn State right. football's huge, moneymaker for the school. So a lot of parents are discouraging their children from choosing this big D1 and, or placing a big emphasis on it, thinking it's just too much influence over the college life. They worry if the sports have hijacked the American campus so that kids aren't doing other things. So you do, you know, you have the flip side. Um, I think you have to make that decision. I think you have to know yourself. My daughter is a, a motivated student. She's engaged. So she hasn't let that kind of take over. My son, on the other hand, he'll go to all of the games and probably be pulling all-nighters to finish his work. <laughs> but, you know, that's his choice, right? You right. know, and he also yeah. is a good student. But that will be important to him. Now, he's not one of those big party guys. I know a lot of sports then move right into the big parties because the team won. And, you know, then it's right. like a two-day thing. And so I think you have to know yourself. I think you have to, you know, for parents and families discussing this, you have to know what you're getting into and really what the student can handle and how it is going to impact their life across the board. Yeah. And I, I think that there is, you mentioned that sort of, you know, your daughter at University of Miami, she can choose to go or not to go. And I think, I think there's an important difference between a big university that does so many things really well. Um, you know, I grew up in Tempe where Arizona State University is. It's huge. Mm -hmm. It's got about 60,000 students. They have a really big sports culture there, but because the campus is so big, because there's so many things the university is doing, it's not a dominant part of your life unless you want it to be. If you choose mm -hmm. to go to Duke, you're going to be consumed by basketball um, during the basketball season because of the size of the campus, because it is, it is something that is so ubiquitous when you're there. And I think that mm -hmm. there's, there are major differences between the size of the school, uh, you know, how much that sort of culture takes over. You know, at USC, they do um, alumni tailgating on Saturday morning for every football game. And that's on the main walk um, that leads up to the stadium right on campus. And that's something that is going to be a part of every Saturday during football season if you're a student at USC. So, you know, there are, I think there are places where sports is happening and you can take advantage. There are places where sports is happening and you cannot take advantage. And there are some places where sports is happening and it's kind of going to be a part of your life whether you want to or not. And so for students who are or are not interested in sports, you want to think about those things. Um, as they all go together. I think yeah, I was going to talk. Go ahead, go ahead. I mean, the one other thing I was going to say is that, you know, we're talking a lot about sports, but when I think of school spirit, rah-rah, you know, yeah, there are other areas besides sports, you know, and I was thinking about today and talking about today, I really wanted to make sure to tell our listeners, you know, you're not, 
choosing a school necessarily if it's big sports culture or not. There's other, you know, large universities have a lot of school spirit outside of, of where they come together and they take pride in. Uh, I think about, um, you know, yes, the standing in sports, but the standing in different areas, like the school's academic history, philanthropy, Greek life, food. Yeah. Bowdoin is known as the best food in the country, right? Mount Holyoke, right. the best dorms in the country. These are important things that students take pride in and, and share with other students, share with their sons and daughters when they're applying to colleges. So this whole rah-rah is generally focused on sports, and we align it with sports, but there's a lot of other areas, too, when you're choosing schools. Um, you know, it might be in, in kind of in, in cooperation with the sports, but there's other things, too. If you want to go to a school that has a rah-rah spirit, there are a lot of different things you can think about. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to hit on because, you know, even at, at Reed where people couldn't care less about sports, there was a unifying experience in our freshman humanities class uh, that everybody had to take that, that's been taught at the, the school for 80 or 90 years. Um, you know, there's this sort of pep rally mentality that you have that's a, around that class. And so there's school spirit that's connected more through academics than through athletics. Mm -hmm. um, MIT is a place where there's a great deal of school pride um, through things like uh, pranks and engineering and sort of it defines it in a different kind of way. And so if you're looking for school spirit, it doesn't have to be through athletics. It can be through other right. things. But I, I think that there is an important value to be had in common experience and, and school spirit and sort of this rah-rah atmosphere. But sports just tends to be, I think, the most obvious way of doing it. Um, Amy, yeah. we're, yeah, we're all out of time. Do you have any uh, sort of final thoughts that you wanted to share before we go to the next segment? Well, all I wanted to say is that when I was younger, you know, I was a big swimmer. I loved watching swimming in the, in the Olympics. I always enjoyed going to, going to a sporting event. But I have to say I am so guilty now with my kids at these colleges of watching the football, watching the, the basketball, watching tennis when I go and visit them, watching all these different sports. So um, I think it brings a family together as well. I think it just bring, yeah. it really does create kind of a community, a sense of pride, and that, that whole spirit. And I am currently right now wearing a purple sweatshirt with Northwestern <laughs> on it. So um, you could tell, like, what it does. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty, school spirit's a pretty cool thing. That's right. They got you already. Um, awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for your, uh, your thoughts on this, Amy. I really appreciate it. I feel less like a dodgeball target than I did 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Have a great rest of the day. Thanks for having me. You too. After uh, this short message from our sponsors, we'll be right back and uh, go Ducks. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. 
visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. As I mentioned in the first segment, we're recording this episode on March 29th, and tomorrow marks the release of admission decisions from Ivy League institutions. Of course, this always inspires a great deal of stress and personal reflection, a few happy students, and a whole lot who are feeling disappointed. Um, In the midst of all those emotions, we'd like to help you get some answers, too. Beth Heaton, the eponymous host of Getting In, started a weekly series on Ivy League admissions uh, late last week, and she's posting them on the Huffington Post. She's going to tackle questions about academics and testing as they pertain to highly selective admission process. Um, And future editions, she plans to get even further in the weeds on the details. So you'll be able to find links to her articles on our Facebook page, uh, which is facebook.com slash collegecoach, or directly on the Huffington Post. Keep an eye out for that great content. Okay, for our next segment, I'd like to rewind the timeline a little. We're talking a lot about seniors. Let's talk a little bit about juniors. And to do that, we want to talk a little about college research. This is something that usually pops up right around this time of year for my second semester juniors, and it's probably on your mind if you're slated to graduate high school in 2018. To discuss research tools and best practices, I'd like to welcome my old buddy, Tova Tolman, a Swiss army knife of resources. Hey, Tova. Hi, Ian. Thanks for the (laughs) metaphor. (laughs) Yeah, you got it. Um, You've got so many things at your disposal, um, and you're always thinking about best practices. So I I thought you'd be great for this. Um, So let's talk about research. Um, I think... (laughs) There's like this sort of black hole of time that occurs sort of between junior spring and the fall of the senior year when students actually apply, where they're supposed to research colleges. And um, that's a concept that like, I think people don't really have the details on, and it can feel a little bit like, how do I get started? Um, So what's, what's your sense of kind of what the research process looks like in general terms? How would you advise people think about it? Uh, conceptually? I think that's a, a very fair question, and the analogy of a black hole is, is a good one, because so often we're telling students, okay, start to research some schools, and report yep. back to me next week with a few ideas, and you know, maybe one school that you, that you like that you want to dive into a little bit more deeply. And I think, frankly, that can be rather daunting for a student when you think that there are, what, 4,000 some schools out there, the idea yeah. of go research one, where, where do you even begin? So I think sometimes the goal is just narrowing down, coming up with a way to be, be a little bit more focused about your research. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to know exactly what you want. I was uh, thinking about how I, one might go online and say, I want to go buy a shirt. 
Well, <laughs> you can go on Amazon, <laughs> you can go onto your favorite online store, and you will find hundreds of thousands of options. Uh, so granted, that's not 4,000, but you're going to have a lot more success if you begin to narrow. So I often tell students to begin to focus their research with narrowing down something, anything. Pick one thing about the process and use that as your first filter. So whether that be location, I know I want to be in this state, or whether it be I really like the color purple and I only want to see schools that have uh, school colors with the color purple. I think that's more of a shirt analogy, but still you get what I mean. Uh, yeah. The idea is to begin your focus somewhere by narrowing a parameter a, a variable in some regards so that you're not starting with 4,000 schools. Yeah, I, that's a great analogy. It reminds me of shoe shopping, which I do all the time. And I'm like, oh, I need a new pair of sneakers. And I go in and there's, you know, there's tens of thousands of options. And I sort of narrow by style and brand and price, et cetera. The problem, though, when I go shoe shopping is I can see very clearly what the shoes look like. So it's easy to browse through options. With colleges, if I see the name of a school and its seal or the, its mascot, now I'm like, okay, well, there's Northwestern and there's a wildcat there, or there's University of Miami and they have a hurricane logo. But now what? Now what, what, what about the details behind that? You said this is sort of something you come back to again and again, this sort of like a multi-stage process. What sort of is a step that allows students to learn a little bit about a school um, without having them dive too deeply too early? Sure. There are a lot of great online resources there that can help them sort of page through, if you will, like an image of a sneaker to sort of get a little bit of a snapshot of what's the vibe of this school. What are some of the quick stats? What are some of the numbers? What are some of the basics that I might want to know that might tell me, is this something I want to dive into a little bit more deeply? One of the sites that I like a lot is called unigo.com. It's great mm. at putting campus culture in their descriptions and summary. Unigo, like university, but unigo, or, or you need to go. <laughs> Unigo.com. <laughs> okay. Um, I like and the unigo. you need to go version. You think that's how they came up with the name? I don't think it's university. I, I think it's I you need it to very go. Much. Yeah, you need to go. Probably. It has nothing to do with colleges whatsoever. Um, so Unigo is really interesting because it is like, I almost think of it as like a Yelp for colleges. Like you go on there and you make a rating. They have ratings for schools and you've got reviews um, and students are, are rating a variety of different factors for colleges. Um, but then I also think, so that's helpful. But sometimes when you look at Yelp reviews, you've got five-star reviews and one-star reviews and not a whole lot in between, right? It's like the angry customer and the person who is delighted, but not the person who is sort of like just satisfied, but you know, wouldn't write home about it. Um, what about, how do you sort of understand the um, the source of your research as valuable or not valuable? To what degree do you put faith in student reviews um, on the web uh, as opposed to other types of resources? Sure. I think that's really fair as you liken it to Yelp. Sometimes you have an angry customer who, who is quick with the pen and, and writes a really bad review. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that restaurant still isn't a great restaurant. It's just one person's opinion. Right. I would take it as I would with any of the opinions of other people as opposed to facts of, all right, let me filter that in. Let me collect a whole bunch of different ideas and different opinions and see what I come up with and come up with my own opinion. I'll take some of the good with that. I'll mix it with some of the facts and some of the facts that I might be able to find from sites like 
Princeton Review or um, any of the books out there that have some great resources, and we can go through some of those as well. But I think yeah. it can be helpful to hear what some students are saying, as long as you remember exactly what you just said, Ian, that it's, it's one person's opinion. And I want to yeah. then authenticate that opinion with either backing it up with some visiting and doing my own research on that school's website or comparing it to some of the facts that you might find in some other sites that are collecting the data as opposed to opinions. Yeah, I love that you mentioned Unigo because I, I was on Unigo with one of my students on Monday and we were just sort of talking about it as a resource. And um, for those of you who are at home, if you're near a computer, you should pull it up and just, just have a look at unigo.com. And you can look, you know, you, you log into a particular school, you search for it, and then you've, it's got recent reviews with stars and it's got the student's first name. And there's no way of knowing, like, you have Alvin and Amber here who both love Northwestern, but like, are they serious students? Are they into sports? Do they major in the things that you like? You know, what are, what are sort of the factors of the students? And it's sometimes hard to know what their details and background are and how those might bias their perspective. Um, you know, Amber might be nothing like you. Alvin might be you to a T. But the, the review is not going to show you that. And so I think what you're looking for, oh, Zeke really doesn't like Northwestern, one star. Um, <laughs> what you're looking for is... Um, usage of similar sort of terms across multiple reviews. So if you read 20 different reviews and you hear a lot about um, journalism and um, collaboration and athletics and the value of being near Chicago, that's probably something that's a shared experience across lots of students. You don't want to put a lot of faith in what Zeke has to say because he's just one person who might have an ax to grind about his experience. Right. So I, I think that's one thing that you've got to really be, be careful with um, and, and think about as you're using those, those student reviews. Um, you mentioned this as sort of like a, a first pass. Go to Unigo, check it out. Um, offline, we had talked a little bit about the Big Future website uh, that the College Board has, bigfuture.collegeboard.org. Um, are there any other sort of uh, first pass resources that you recommend to students? And you know what? One more word about Big Future before we mention others. What I like about it so much is that I find it to be one of the most helpful in the just the prettiest and easiest to use when it comes to searching and narrowing. If you have some sort of features or variables that you do want to start to narrow your search by, I think that the Big Futures search tool is very intuitive, uh, easy to use, and just makes it pretty to look at and, and really pops up, here, here are the 100 schools down from the 4,000 that you might want to start digging into a little bit more deeply. Um, and speaking of visually appealing, the Princeton Reviews uh, site, PrincetonReview.com, did also recently redesign theirs, making it a little bit more visually appealing. And I think that's another good one as a place to do some sort of first pass. Uh, if you aren't, though, a uh, sort of an online person, if you're more that tactile person, you want to hold the book in your hand, I think that there are some great resources out there still, Ian, for those who want to actually go to the store and buy a book or, or a page through That's one enough. at the library if they have the, the, the recent copy. I think the Fist Guide is a wonderful yep. one to go through as sort of, hmm, what are some of the schools that maybe I haven't heard of and get some other reviews and, and opinions out there? I find any of these are always going to be a better place to start than starting with rankings and ratings lists of the top 50 schools according to this site or that site. Because as you said, thinking about, well, I don't necessarily care what Zeke's opinion was or what Susie's opinion was. 
I'm not so sure how much these ratings are going to align with what my interests are and what my priorities are. Uh, so they're only going to be helpful if they happen to align perfectly with what you value and what's important to you in your search. That's actually, that's a great point and a good pause here. So as we talk about all these things, you go out there and you do research, you're making a first pass, you're learning about different schools and options. You might at this point start to get a sense of what it is that you're looking for. What are the things that are attractive to you? You know, you keep saying, wow, I really seem to be excited every time I hear about undergraduate research opportunities. That seems to be something that I'm, I'm noting frequently as a great option. So maybe that's something that I want to include as uh, a factor that I'm looking for in every school that I research. And I think it can be helpful to either with a pen and paper or with a spreadsheet of some kind to stop in a, and think about what the factors are that you really value in your college and put those down on a list so that as you begin even further research and deeper research of schools, you start to think about how they compare according to those different factors. Um, are there tips that you give students as they think about how to evaluate a fit of a school for them as opposed to uh, as it pertains to rankings and, and rating systems? Sure. I think, you know, where you started is, is key, you know, coming up with what you value. I think what's really hard, especially for second semester juniors who haven't really started looking carefully yet, and I hear this a lot from sophomores in the spring when they're told, hey, it's not a bad idea to start researching schools. Well, I don't, I don't know what I care about. I like everything. I want to go to college. And, and really, even if you ask them, well, do I want a big school or a small school? They say, I don't know. Do I want to be in an urban environment or rural environment? I don't know. <laughs> and there are a lot of yeah. things that students haven't, haven't really thought about yet. I think that I, the first piece of advice I'd give there is to be flexible. You know, as you start that spreadsheet and you start to sort of record things, you might start to be surprised by themes you see, of things you didn't think were important to you at all, and you realize, you know what, these four schools, these five schools that I keep coming back to all share this one value. And huh, what do you know, that, that's a bigger deal to me than I realized. And that thing that I thought was so super important, actually none of the schools that I'm interested in have. So clearly that's not so important to me. You know, when I'm looking at those rankings and the ratings and I think about things like, uh, you know, average SAT score of an admitted student and what percent of alumni are giving uh, back to the college every year. You know, these are the things that, that bring a, a school very high in the list. Or better yet, what do other faculty from different institutions think about my, that school? You know, why are those the pieces that are valued uh, the greatest in those rankings and ratings? I often tell students to say, well, that, that ranking list might not be that helpful to you because you aren't right. so concerned by what percent of alumni are giving back to the college or whatever the, the feature is there. Um, so I'd right. say be flexible with your with what you think is a priority as opposed to what becomes one later on as you move forward and you start to see sort of the similarities between the schools that you do like and the schools that you aren't really feeling. Right. Exactly. I, I think you're, you're right on with that is sort of the ranking system we're coming up with is not the U.S. news ranking, but Zeke's ranking for colleges. You know, <laughs> Zeke doesn't like Northwestern. Why is that? Well, maybe because Zeke doesn't care for the Midwest and doesn't care for, for athletics. So he's looking for something different, right? So so think about what Zeke your was cold. It was too windy for Zeke. <laughs> too cold, too windy. We don't want this. Yeah. 
Exactly. Um, now, I, I want to, we've got about a, a minute and a half, but I want to think a little bit about how research gives way to usefulness in a visit. So I do a bunch of research. I learn about a school online. I've read it about it in the FIST guide, the Princeton Review. I've got notes. What does that mean for me when I actually go to a campus? Um, how should I be investigating what the campus provides um, in the flesh versus what I was learning when I was sitting at my computer back home? Sure. Sure. I think this is the moment where you, you know, you bought that shirt online, it comes and you go to try <laughs> it on, right? It was the right color. Yeah. It was the right size. You thought you liked the style and you try it on, you look in the mirror and you realize, oh my gosh, this shirt looks terrible on me. You know, this is your opportunity to try it on. Um, so I think it's, it, you know, you need to authenticate what you're reading and what you're hearing, whether it is Zeke's opinion or the shiny, glossy brochure's opinion. Either way, you want to see how is that holding up to what you see the experience being. And honestly, I think while you do need to take an actual tour, talk with the actual admission office, listen to the actual information session, make sure to spend some time off the beaten path to sort of authenticate everything it is that you found in your research, whether that's eating a meal in the dining hall and listening to the conversations around you, whether that's walking through the student center and looking at the flyers hanging up on the wall. You know, you follow back up on that thing to figure out, is that just that one, you know, Zeke opinion, or is that really the consistent vibe that I'm getting from the school because, you know, 20 or 30 people that I'm coming across that I've seen in this site and that site and all these students that I'm speaking with, they're all saying, it's your opportunity to really verify everything it is that you've seen in your research and see how it actually feels when you go and try it on. Yeah, I think that that's, that's all great. I would, would add one little piece, which is that if you keep, you know, I do this a lot. I order shoes and have to send them back a lot. And I have to, and what I have to look at is how is what I'm expecting I'm getting from my research online different from what I'm actually seeing when I'm trying them on. And if there's a consistent mm -hmm. pattern that, oh, I tend to like really bright shoes on the computer, but I actually like things that are more traditional when, I, when I'm actually wearing them around town, that means I need to stop looking at bright shoes. And stop ordering them <laughs> because it is causing a lot of problems in terms of finding the right footwear. The same thing's true if you're looking at college. If you're finding that what you're researching is not in alignment with what you're experiencing at campus visits over and over again, then there's some element of what you're researching that's not working out right. You want to make sure that your research is a good stand-in for visiting because you can't visit every school. So it's a nice test to make sure that what you're reading online is believable when you actually get to campus, that makes those resources more believable for schools that you can't necessarily visit. Okay, we are a little over time. So I have to thank you for coming on the show, but I also have to boot you so that we can get ready for the next segment. But thanks for coming to Toba. Thanks for having me back here. <laughs> of course, when we come back, uh, we're gonna turn to finance superstar Kathy Ruby for a conversation about making the college decision, decision based on finances. You won't wanna miss it, so stick around. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, 
how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. In our final segment, we're going to talk finance. And while we have many people on our finance team at College Coach, all superstars in their own right, it appears as though my next guest is the only one of them who is willing to come on the show and talk to me. Uh, Kathy Ruby, <laughs> welcome back to the show. Hi, Ian. Nice to talk with you. It, yeah, I feel like it's an accident <laughs> of scheduling that you're my most frequent finance guest, but it does I can't work help out that way, doesn't it? That, yeah, you guys are just passing around the potato and it always gets stuck with you. So, uh, someone's got <laughs> to have it. you on the show. Someone's got to do it. So, we're talking about making the college decision based on finances. And that's, an, I think, a worthwhile factor to consider, right? We talked with Tova a moment ago just about researching colleges and all the things you might look for when you're choosing a college. But when it comes down to it, this is a, a, also a transactional relationship and you have to pay for this. So um, it's a harder topic to talk about. It's not as fun. Um, as parents, we obviously want to give kids whatever they want, but sometimes what our kids want you know, is outside of the realm of what we can afford. Um, what's the best way for us to be able to approach this conversation with students when we're talking about finances and and the college process? Yes. Well, so I think the first thing is to have an open mind and to help your student have an open mind about the great range of schools and diversity of colleges that are out there. Um, But Mm -hmm. just as we get started here, this is best talked about actually early in the college search process. I mean, ideally, you've had a conversation with your student in ninth grade saying, you can look at any college you want and you can apply anywhere you want to go, but in the end, finances are going to matter. So you do want to make sure if you don't have a blank check that your student knows there's not a blank check. Um, So for those of you who are parents of juniors and younger, um, make sure you're talking to your kids about this. And this doesn't mean you take any colleges off the list. It just means that because you never know really what a college is going to cost until after a student's accepted. But in the meantime, um, you just want to make sure your student knows that you're going to have to be looking at finances when the final decision is made. That's right. So good. Um, that's helpful for our juniors who maybe were listening to our last segment and are, are thinking about that now, but it's April for our seniors. So yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no time machine. We're now we're in the thick of it. We're making this decision. We've got about a month left, less than a month when we're airing this. Um, and there's probably some conflict happening between parents and students about what affordable means. Um, any suggestions uh, for parents and, and students who are in that position? 
Yeah, I mean, this is really hard, and I, I'm a parent of young adults, too, and I know how hard it is sometimes <laughs> to talk to a teenager who's got their heart set on something, but I think yeah. the key here is when we're talking finances, you know, 17- and 18-year-olds haven't really experienced living in the world yet, right? They don't understand the financial consequences of the decision they're about to make, so you know, if if part of the plan here is that your student's going to have to borrow a lot of money, you know, to them, borrowing $60,000 doesn't sound like much when they think they're going to make $60,000 a year. Um, and even if you've made bad decisions, I mean, as parents, we bring all kinds of baggage to the conversation, right? And so if you've made bad financial decisions that have brought you to a place where you can't afford to send your student to where they really want to go, you kind of have to let go of that baggage, um, you know, and really use this as a teaching moment because your your bad financial decisions don't have to be hereditary, right? You can you can give your child the opportunity to make a good financial decision. Yeah, I think that's right. It's it's hard. It, it's a good moment, I think, to have that. You're sending your students off into the world, right? They're leaving home for the first time. They're going to start managing money on their mm-hmm. own to some degree for the first time, and this is a good chance to sort of wipe that slate clean and say, well, this is, look, this is the reason. And it, yep. it may be because we didn't save enough. And that's something for you to understand later on. Um, but it, it is something you need to know. I think it's, right. I think it's hard though, you know, hard to walk that line of not wanting to be too preachy, you know, sit down, son, we're going to have <laughs> a lecture here about <laughs> what the right decision is. You know, um, you want this to be something where they're coming along with you, helping to make the decision as well. Right. So the exactly. Because so yeah, we there? all know how well it works to lecture a 17 or 18 year old who's a senior <laughs> in high school, right? Yeah. So not so good. <laughs> yeah. So here are some suggestions. Try actually sitting and doing the math with them. Um, so, you know, there are all kinds of student loan repayment calculators out there. Um, just for the sake of argument, let's say assume a 5 to 7% interest rate, um, calculate monthly payments using a 10 or 15 or 20 year repayment so that they can see what the monthly payment will be and how much interest they pay back. Um, that's often know, alarming to to kids when they see, wait a minute, I borrowed that much, but I pay that much back with interest. Um, You can use the Bureau of Labor Statistics Occupational Outlook Handbook. We talk about that a lot on this show. Um, You can look up potential career um, salaries and then sit down and work through a budget with your student. I mean, even if you don't budget, um, it's certainly a good skill to teach your kids and, and talk to them about, okay, so where do you want to live? Let's look up what the rent is for a one-bedroom apartment in that city, and let's figure out what your other expenses would be um, and let them see um, how those expenses play out. One of my colleagues likes to likes to ask students um, ask students to envision what they what they imagine their future economic life will be, you know, where they'll live, what kind of car they'll drive, are they going to have pets, are they going to belong to a gym, Um, all those kinds of things. Because when they start to realize what goals they have, um, it may help them realize that a big student loan payment doesn't fit into that dream of what they want to do. Yeah. And actually, I, you know, there are some good websites out there, um, like uh, Nerd Wallet and Credit yeah. Karma, which have some nice sort of blog posts where people are actually wrestling with different kinds of debt and like how they're managing their own budgets. And so in some cases, exactly. if, you're, if your students won't listen to you, you can send them to these resources and say, here's a blog post from a 35-year-old who mm-hmm. is 
you know, eating ramen every single night because she needs to pay off her student loans. And that's her goal, right? And, and helping students to see what that looks like from, from a variety of perspectives can be really, really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about uh, sort of borrowing? Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's sort of a relationship in borrowing where students can only borrow so much. Um, and so parents can sometimes be on the hook. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is that students students can only borrow so much in their own name. So they can borrow, most undergraduate students can borrow $27,000 from the federal government in their own name. And then beyond that, as a parent, you're either going to borrow on their behalf or you're going to have to co-sign a private or a state loan. So you're going to be on the hook too. So this, this does impact you. So you want to make sure that you're conversing with your student about it. So I know this is this is a question that you all on the finance team get all the time, and it's uh, impossible uh, to answer. But they'll they'll still they'll say, "Hey, Kathy, come on, like let's, you know, here's here's some thing that I just tell you a little bit about me." But how much is too much? I mean, how much okay. is too much money? To, yeah, to if we pay? had the answer what do you to think? that, right? That would be, you know, it really does vary based on the student. But here's a couple guidelines that are out there. Um, the first is that you shouldn't borrow more than what you think you're going to make in your first year out of whatever program you're in. So if nice. you're going to be an engineer and the starting salary is $50,000, then maybe you shouldn't borrow more than $50,000. So mm. that's the... Now, remember, you have to make it through your engineering program and make $50,000. That's the other important thing to remember, right? You've got to make it through and actually make that much money. Um, <clears throat> another... Suggestion, and this comes from Sandy Baum, who's an economist who does quite a bit of research on student loan debt, and she suggests no more than 20% of discretionary income, which discretionary income is defined as um, your income less 150% of the U.S. poverty guidelines. So for a family of, oh, I I don't want to quote any numbers, but it's a pretty low number. And then you shouldn't be paying more than 20% of that difference. So if you you borrow $30,000, you would need to make about $35,000 a year to pay that back comfortably using those numbers. Just just occurred to me that I have a... I have a friend, an old professor, who's an uh, economics professor at Reed, and, and she just sent her daughter off to college, actually at Carleton. Um, mm-hmm. And it just occurred to me how hard that conversation would be if your mom was an economist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're talking you about really the cost of college. <laughs> There's one you're not going to win. Um, uh, so you, we work with, with students on the admission side. You guys are, are great over on the finance side. Um, and, and you talk a little bit about how to repay loans uh, with mm-hmm. some of our services. Um, what are the things you most often hear uh, that are framed as regrets from, from students and parents? And so I wish I hadn't done this or that. What do they say? Yeah, and there are there are quite a few, of course. But I do want to make clear first, we are not, when we talk about borrowing here, um, college is an investment in your child's future. So a reasonable amount of borrowing is not a bad thing, right? It's an investment in your child's future. So we're not against all student loan debt or parent loan debt. We just want to make sure that you're making informed decisions about what you can actually afford. Um, the regrets... Obviously, they borrowed too much. Talked to quite a few people who had wished wished they'd done the math up front. Um, Parents sometimes will suddenly realize that they are on the hook and their child can't help as much as they thought they could. Parents often think that they can get themselves released as a co-signer on those private loans. And that actually 
can happen through a refinancing, but your student has to be very um, financially solid for that to happen. They have to have a good income. They have to have a good solid credit history. So it'll take at least a few years before they, that can happen after they leave school. Um, probably one of the biggest things is they ignore the interest that's accruing on loans while kids are in school. So most loans are actually unsubsidized for most middle-income families, which means that interest is accruing. Um, and so if you don't pay the interest as it's accruing, either on behalf of your student or on a parent loan that you've borrowed, when you turn around and enter repayment, that loan is much bigger than what you originally borrowed. And, mm-hmm. and I would say if you can't afford to pay the interest on a loan while your child's in college, you should probably be thinking carefully about whether you can afford to send your child um, to that college. Doesn't mean you can't, but that's an indicator right there. If you can't afford interest, um, that loan's only going to grow. The interest um, thing is, yeah. is crazy. I mean, we just, um, you know, my wife and I just bought a house uh, within the last year. And when you mm-hmm. see that amortization schedule, when you see yeah. like you're paying down so much interest from the beginning and so little on the principal, um, yeah. it's just like, wow. Um, you know, the amount that something costs you when you actually use, you know, this interest calculation over time is, is just so significantly higher. And, you know, as parents, we know those things because we've seen an amortization schedule because we have a mortgage or because we've had loans right. before and, and students rarely have. So, you know, we need to bring them in on that conversation and help them understand these, these dollars um, because, you know, it, it helps them to make the right decision. Absolutely. Um, we want to talk a little bit about I think we get to a position where you got a dream school, you want to go. Um, it, it may be the most expensive option. Um, now, in some cases, you don't get in, and so parents are wiping their sweat from their brow. I'm so sad <laughs> for you, but thank God I don't have to pay for that. Um, but then, you know, there are some cases where students do get into a school that might be very expensive um, relative to a second, third, or fourth choice that is willing to perhaps pay scholarship money or, or incentivize a student's attendance. So how do we talk with students and parents about these other options, um, the second, third, fourth choice, um, as it were? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, you talk about this, I'm sure, on the admission side as well. I mean, there are so many great great schools out there. There are so many great smart faculty, so many other smart kids who are at all kinds of different schools. So it comes back to keeping that open mind. And I think, I mean, there's lots of lots of literature out there on the web about how important it is. It's not so much where you go, but what you, what opportunities you take advantage of where you are, right? Yeah. Um, I, you know, so I remember my first year uh, at Reed, it was, it was the first week we were in orientation. And my roommate and I uh, obviously lived in the same room. And then down the hall, there were these two girls. They lived, they lived together. They were roommates. And um, my roommate had applied early decision. So he knew he, knew he wanted Reed from the beginning. That was his first choice. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it was, my, it was my seventh choice. It was like <laughs> I had six other places I would rather have gone if I had gotten in. Um, and it ended up sort of being Reed. And then down the hall... Um, one of the girls uh, was also had also applied early decision, and then the other one, uh, it was her seventh or eighth choice. And she told me all mm-hmm. the other places she'd applied that she wished she'd gotten in. Um, that conversation happened in that first week of school, but never really came up again. It's not <laughs> something that we focus on once we're actually students at a school because we're so busy trying to figure out a way to make that school ours and get the most that we can out of that experience. And by the yeah. time we all graduated four years later, 
we'd had this wonderful experience where people weren't asking us as they handed us a diploma, was this your first choice or not? It's just, <laughs> it's not relevant anymore. Um, no. you know, you're choosing, you're choosing a, a great option for you based on, um, you know, what's presented to you. Uh, yeah. People, kids, high school kids can't see past that. Um, no. But I think when you get to the other side of it, you can to some degree. Yes, absolutely. Nobody cares once you get there. Nobody's going to ask right. you what you got on your SATs either, right? That's right. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, I, I wrote a blog post, actually. It's on uh, getintocollege.com slash blog uh, just a couple of days ago, um, why you should consider your safety school. Um, and, you know, a, a big point there is, Safety schools are terms that we use when we're talking about admissibility. Once you get in, it's not a safety school anymore. It's a school mm-hmm. where you got in. It's an option. And so you can weigh these options based on having the offer of admission instead of thinking of them as, as safety in reach schools. Right. And, and you can uh, imagine that if you're the rock star at a particular school because it was your safety school, quote unquote, mm-hmm. Um, that means you're probably more likely to take advantages, advantage of opportunities because you're going to be more confident. You're going to not, not be afraid of faculty. Um, you're going to get really involved at the school. So there's, lots, yeah. there's many good arguments for going to your safety school. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Kathy. Now nobody has to read my blog post. And oh, you sorry. You read all those points on it. No, <laughs> no there's, there's more there. More great there's more to read. There. There's, there's more to read. Um, that's all the time we've got today. Thanks, thanks for Kathy, for joining us and walking us through it. I really appreciate it. Sure. Happy to be here. Of course. Of course. Next week, Beth Heaton returns to the hosting chair. She'll be joined by one of our newer colleagues, Mr. Sai Samboom, to talk about the inner workings of the Penn Admission Office. It'll be a dynamic conversation. You won't want to miss it. We'll also be taking your listener questions. If you have something you want to know about in greater detail, remember, you can always send us an email at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. We have frequent Q&A sessions on the show, and we're delighted to see so many requests from our listeners. Until next week, enjoy this first week of April. I hope spring has sprung wherever you live and that it's smooth sailing to the end of the academic year. Have a delightful day. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.